Thank you for being here tonight. We're very grateful for your presence. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32 in our study tonight. And what we want to talk about tonight is something that is easier said than done, and that is learning to forgive others. I know what the Bible says, and you know what the Bible says about forgiving. And quite frankly, when someone has literally done a number on us, it can be very, very difficult to forgive. And listen to what Paul said again, beginning in verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. So what about letting go and learning to forgive? Paul is writing to Christians. And the time is about A.D. 61 or 62. Paul had spent time in Ephesus. He had taught those people. He had preached to those who lived in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing to the church. And what he does in chapter 4 is contrast the old man to the new man in Christ. That is, he talks about what life was like prior to becoming a Christian and what life is now like in Christ. And there are a lot of changes that have to take place in the life of a Christian. And there are old habits that sometimes are not easy to put to death. As a matter of fact, that old way of life can really be a thorn in our side. And there are certain traits, there are certain principles that we understand to be biblical. We know that there are certain commands, there are certain things that God wants us to do. And as I said a moment ago, sometimes in theory something sounds good, sounds easy. But in terms of practicality, not so. So when we talk about forgiveness, I would grant that it is easier to talk about forgiveness than it is to practice forgiveness. And so I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the choice to forgive. And I want to say right up front, forgiveness is a choice. I think we need to understand that. I mentioned a moment ago that Paul is contrasting the old man, the old person, to the new person in Christ. For example, pick up with me in verse 21. Paul said, if indeed you have heard and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. And so in light of that, he would say, put away lying and speak truth every man to his neighbor. Be angry and do not sin. Neither give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no more. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. You see the contrast here, don't you? There were those who previously had been thieves, and Paul said, look, you can't continue to steal from other people. There were those that had a problem with lying. And Paul's saying, you've got to learn to be truthful with one another. Just a couple of examples. 
So now he gets down to verses 31 and 32, and he begins talking about the importance of learning to forgive and learning to let go so that we can forgive. So first and foremost, the choice to forgive. And I would begin this point by talking about the danger of failing to forgive. And there are a couple of, I think there are a couple of reasons or a couple of things associated with this. When we fail to forgive, there are some innate burdens that we ultimately come to bear. The first of which would be a grudge. When problems arise between people and when someone has literally gutted you, unless you somehow reconcile that difference or those differences and come to terms with what's happened, it might very well be the case that you begin to bear a grudge. So look at what Paul says in verse 31 again. Paul would say, let all bitterness, and that word bitterness carries with it the idea of creating a bad taste. Sometimes we talk about how a certain situation or a circumstance in life will leave us with a bad taste in our mouth. Are there times in life when someone has mistreated us or done something to us, and as a result of that, we have a bad taste in our mouths? Yes, it happens. And then he said, let all bitterness and wrath. And the word wrath here denotes that which, well, it really carries with it the idea of someone who becomes extremely agitated to the point of boiling or boiling over but then it soon subsides. Some of you that like to cook, I would assume that from time to time you'll put a pot on the stove or you'll put something on the stove and you'll let it simmer. You get it real hot and then it begins to subside in temperature. And then Paul uses the word anger. And the word anger here denotes a violent emotion. And I want you to think about it for a moment or two. We talk about anger and wrath. And there are some that we would classify as hotheads. They get mad. They get violently mad. Sometimes they'll erupt, and then that anger subsides, and they're fine. And then there are those that get angry, and they let that anger begin to smolder, kind of like putting that pot on the stove. And that anger, that wrath begins to to simmer. And before you know it, a lot of problems have been created or could potentially come forth. And then Paul said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, loud quarreling, and evil speaking. The word evil speaking or the idea here is slanderous speech that which is injurious to the good name of another person. And then Paul would say, let all these things be put away from you with all malice. And the word malice here means ill will. The desire, or really, I think it carries with it the idea of of, uh, going so far that we would violate law. 
And there are times in life when, as a result of our anger and our ill feelings, that we begin to bear grudges. And all of these characteristics ultimately will lead to bearing a grudge. So the first burden would be a grudge. The second would be guilt. How many times as a result of differences between people have grudges emanated and then unresolved guilt? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Go back to the book of Genesis for a minute and look with me if you would in the book of Genesis in chapter 41. In chapter 41, in verse 52, if you do the math, and I'll just encourage you to take my word here and go home and study. Joseph, you remember, had been sold into the hands of the Ishmaelites and Midianites. He made his way down into Egypt, served in the, in the court of Potiphar, then later rose to great power under Pharaoh, became second in command. In verse 53, 20 years have passed. Joseph has gone from being a 17-year-old teenager to a 37-year-old man. And in chapter 42, you remember there were seven years of plenty and then that would be followed by seven years of famine. So when the famine began to occur, Jacob instructed his sons to go and find grain in Egypt. And they did so. And so little did they know that they would meet up with their brother Joseph. Now, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And so if you read the story, and I'm not going to take the time to read the account, but basically Joseph toyed with them a little bit. He accused them of being spies. And they said, look, we're not spies. He instructed them to go back home to get their brother Benjamin and bring him down to Egypt. And he said, basically, we'll resolve this situation. But look at verse 21. They said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Now listen to what they said. Therefore, they're thinking back 20 years, and they're remembering when they sold Joseph out, and those voices in their head. You remember Joseph pleading with us, begging us, don't do this? And Reuben said, did I not speak to you? Saying, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Verse 21, his conclusion, therefore, this distress has come upon us. Now, sometimes we talk about the consequences of our actions. And for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And what these guys are thinking in their minds and what they're voicing is, the rooster has come home to roost. It's payday, isn't it? But really the point that I want to press is the guilt that they've been bearing. And we talk about unresolved guilt or 
problems that exist between people. These fellows have been, they have been bearing this for 20 long years. So the danger of failing to forgive. Now, it might be the case that you have had problems with someone in the past or maybe with a number of people. And you've been bearing the guilt of that for a long, long time. And what I want to encourage you to do is to resolve it. Now go back and look at Ephesians 4 again. First we talk about the danger of failing to forgive, but then secondly, the decision to forgive. And I think this is really important. I said a moment ago that forgiveness is a choice, and I believe that. And I want to submit to you tonight that number one, it is a personal choice. It's personal. You have to decide whether or not you are going to be man or woman enough to forgive another party, another person. I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Do you remember in Luke 23, in verse 34, in verse 23, or rather in verse 33 of Luke chapter 23, we read where they came to Calvary, and there they crucified Jesus, and as Luke says, and the thieves are male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. In verse 34, do you remember what Jesus said in that context? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, how many times have you heard somebody say, you just don't understand? You have no idea what that person has done to me. You don't know, you have no concept of their egregious conduct toward me. And that may be true. Maybe I don't know all, the, all that went down. Maybe I don't understand everything that happened. But I know this. The choice to forgive resides within you. It's your choice. It is a personal choice. Do you remember in Luke chapter 17... When Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. He said, if he repents, what are we supposed to do? He said, forgive him. And then he said, if your brother sins against you, seven times in a day, what are you supposed to do? Rebuke him. And if he repents, you forgive him. I think what the Lord is saying is that we have to learn to be forgiving people. Now, I said a minute ago, forgiveness is a personal choice. And here's what I want all of us, here's what I want us all to understand and appreciate. Either we take ownership of it or it takes ownership of us. Either we choose to control it, or I promise you, it will control you. And not only will it control you and take ownership of you, it will destroy you. It will destroy you physically. It will destroy you mentally. It will destroy you emotionally. 
It is a personal choice. And maybe I don't know all the, all the circumstances of what went on between you and another person or another group of people. But I know this. The Lord had an attitude of forgiveness. And we need to stand ready and willing to forgive, don't we? So you think about it is a personal choice and then it is a powerful choice, isn't it? It's a powerful decision. It's a profound decision. When we choose to resolve differences between others. What we're saying is we want to live in harmony with one another. We want to be at peace with one another, don't we? You remember Paul on one occasion said, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. Jesus was the Prince of Peace, wasn't he? And Jesus came to bring peace. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when the Lord was born, the angels of God said, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The Prince of Peace wants us to live in peace. He wants us to enjoy the peace that passes all understanding. He wants us to be at peace with God, but He also wants us to be at peace with one another, doesn't He? So you think about how, when we talk about forgiveness, the decision to forgive, the decision to fully forgive, it is a personal decision, it's a powerful decision. Because really what we're saying is, I'm not going to allow this to destroy my life. I'm not going to allow it to destroy my spiritual life. And I promise you, if you have unresolved differences in your life, it will destroy you spiritually. The Bible teaches that. And so, listen again to what Paul said. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let all those terrible feelings, let them go. Don't allow those things to build a nest in your life. You remember back in verse 27 when Paul said, neither give place to the devil? If we allow unresolved differences and problems between us and others to grow and to fester, then ultimately we're going to bear these traits in our lives, aren't we? And they'll destroy us. So I think about the choice to forgive, but then secondly, the challenge to forgive. What about the challenge to forgive? It's a challenge. Have there been people in my life that have hurt me? Yes. Have there been times when the old Mike Hickson would have liked to have taken matters into his own hand? Yes. But I don't have that liberty. And as I said a minute ago, it's easy to talk about principles. It's easy to talk, to talk about 
forgiving somebody. It's altogether different to practice forgiveness, to learn to let it go, to deal with things in a biblical way. And if you read the teaching of Jesus, you remember Jesus said that we are to resolve our differences based on Matthew chapter 5, and then over in chapter 17, chapter 18 rather, that responsibility rests upon us to resolve those differences. So, what about the characteristics of forgiveness? If somebody were to ask you, what are the characteristics of forgiveness? There are two, there are two things that I would cite. Number one, forgiveness is godlike, isn't it? It's godlike. Listen to what Paul said be kind, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Forgiveness is godlike. Does God stand ready and willing to forgive? Yes, He does. Is God willing to forgive any and every sin, every violation of His law? Yes, He is. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 8? And the writer there goes all the way back to the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 31, and he cites the prophet who foretold of the new covenant. And he said, the covenant that God would institute through the shedding of His blood would be one wherein God would forgive sin. He said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. God is saying, when I forgive you, I forgive you completely, fully. Now there are times in life when someone will say or do something to us and we think the matter's been resolved. And then over a period of time, something else comes up and what do they do? Remember when you said that? You remember when you did that? You remember what occurred on this occasion? They, they constantly remind us, don't they? God said, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. In other words, I'm not going to dredge them up. I'm not going to bring those things up again and say, you remember when you said this? You remember when you did this? You remember when you went there? Not so. Forgiveness is God-like. But not just God-like, it is Christ-like. Again, go back to Luke chapter 23, verse 34. What did Jesus say? Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What did they do to Jesus? Do you remember? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was sold out by one of His own disciples, wasn't He? A fellow by the name of Judas Iscariot. Sold Him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus went through what we might call a mockery of a trial. That trial was nothing more than a sham. Pontius Pilate had it right when he said three times in the book of John chapter 18 and chapter 19, I find no fault in this man. Jesus was innocent, wasn't he? And yet, they were so abusive. He was scourged. He was slapped, 
He was mocked, ridiculed. They spat upon him. Once they crucified him, they said, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. They jeered him while on the cross. And yet what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You ever thought about Jesus being the creator? Remember what John said, John chapter 1 verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made. Here is the creator suffering at the hands of his own creation. Could Jesus not have called legions of angels to his defense? Yes, he could. He acknowledged that. But Jesus willingly endured the brunt of the cross for us. And so while on the cross, what does he do? He speaks words of forgiveness. Forgiveness is Christ-like. Now, who are we to emulate in life? Do you remember? What did Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 2? Peter said, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So what Peter is saying is, look, if Jesus was willing to forgive, then we need to learn to forgive, don't we? That we need to stand ready and willing to forgive. Forgiveness is God-like, it's Christ-like. The characteristics of forgiveness. And then, very quickly and finally, I didn't know our time was almost gone. The cost of forgiveness. I want to suggest two things. Number one, compassionately forgive. The word tenderhearted means compassionate. Was Jesus compassionate? He was, wasn't he? We see it time and again throughout his ministry. Jesus was compassionate toward other people. And what Paul is saying here is we need to learn to be kind to one another. And we need to learn to have a tender heart, to be compassionate. Look, we're all human, aren't we? We all have feet of clay. There's not a single one of us in this assembly tonight who can claim perfection, not a single one. We're all human. And listen, the best of the best of the best still make mistakes. And sometimes people that you wouldn't think would hurt you will hurt you. It happens. And so what we have to be is man or woman enough to have compassion and to be willing to forgive, to resolve our differences. So first, compassionately forgive, and then secondly, and this is, this is really hard, completely forgive. Listen again to what Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. How much did God forgive you? Did God fully forgive you? Did He completely forgive you? Or was it only partial, piecemeal? You know the answer. And what God is asking us to do, what the Lord is saying to us is, we need to be willing to forgive completely. And that means we need to let bygones be bygones. We need to put the past in the past and let it stay in the past. Forgive compassionately. Forgive completely. You know, Jesus said that our forgiveness is contingent on our willingness to forgive others, isn't it? 
And so we have to be willing to forgive. Now, as I said a minute ago, look, it's a lot easier said than done. And I get it. Man, there are times it is tough to let it go. Tough to bear the hatchet. And there are times when there are some folks that can push every button in your drawer. But you've got to learn, we've got to learn to resolve, to reconcile, and to move on. And why is that? Because that's what the Lord wants. I would hope and pray that we understand we're not a finished product, that we are a work in progress. And it might be the case that tonight you're struggling with forgiveness. And maybe you've been hurt. Let me just close. I know our time's gone, but just very quickly. Turn to Psalm 55, if you would, for just one moment. I want you to see something. David in Psalm 55 cries out to God. And he's asking God to give ear to his prayer. In verse 4, he talks about how severely his heart is pained within him. Down in verse 8, he said, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. In verse 7, he said, Indeed, I would wander afar and remain in the wilderness. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. David is struggling. And he's he's facing some tough, tough times. But look at verse 12. He said, it's not an enemy who reproaches me. He said, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has magnified himself against me. Then I could hide from him. He said, but it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. He said, we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. David is saying, look, there's somebody very, very, very close to me. And you know what they've done to me? They have gutted me. They have hurt me. Drop down and look at what he says in verse 21. Well, verse 20, he said, He's put forth his hands against those who are at peace with him. He's broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter. He said, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. David has been taken to the proverbial woodshed, hasn't he? And he's struggling. And there are some of us, because we're human, we struggle. And sometimes we struggle with forgiveness. And sometimes there are people, people like the folks David talked about, that filleted him. And they have filleted us. And so, to learn to let it go and to forgive. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to study your word and we acknowledge our shortcomings, our failures. And Father, we recognize that there are times in life when it is very difficult to resolve our differences, to forgive and to move on. And we pray that we will have the courage, the strength, the commitment to you and to your word to do so. And Father, we pray that you would bless us. Help us to be like Christ and help us to live in such a way so that we draw others 
to you. In Christ's name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. What do you need to do? Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. And then be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. And if you'll be faithful unto death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, for whatever reason, you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you've gone back into the world. Maybe you're struggling with things in your life. Maybe you have unresolved differences in your life. And you want to try to make things right. We would encourage you, please, let us pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.